Take your Bibles and turn with me, please, to 1 Corinthians chapter 16. We'll be there in just a moment, verses 13 and 14. 1 Corinthians chapter 16, that's the last chapter in that book, verses 13 and 14. You and I live in an unusual day. I'm sure that people have said that many times over the centuries, but we do live in unusual days. We live in a day when there's great confusion on what it means to be a man. And on this Father's Day, I thought I would add some clarity to that, biblical clarity. You and I live in a time, unprecedented in my opinion, when some biological women consider themselves to be men, but they are not. We live in a day when some biological men consider themselves to be women, but they are not. You and I do not get to choose our gender. I'll say it again. You don't get to choose your gender. That choice of your gender was made in eternity past by the Lord and was assigned to you. You don't get a say in the matter. It was assigned to you at conception. And anyone who tries to choose their own gender is simply playing or pretending like he or she is God, which you are not. That's what people have done since Adam and Eve were created. We've tried to usurp our authority over God's authority to replace God's will with our will. But the immutable, unchangeable fact of the matter is at conception, God assigned your gender to you. And that God-ordained assignment is and will be your gender for the rest of your life. Regardless of what you do, your gender will remain the same. If God created you with X and Y chromosomes, you are a male. If God created you with X and X chromosomes, you are a female. A woman cannot make herself into a man. A man cannot make himself into a woman. Neither you nor anyone else, no doctor, no surgeon, no scientist, is powerful enough to reverse that original God-ordained decision. And no matter what you do to yourself, no matter what anyone else does to you, you're created and you will remain biologically either male or female. God assigned that. And you ought to just ask the Lord to help you rejoice in it. We also live in a day of fatherlessness. We live in a day when men are shirking their responsibilities to raise their own sons and daughters. Sir, if you have begotten a child biologically, be a man and step up to the plate and take care of that child. Do not leave the woman with that child. That happens so often. A man comes together with a woman, she becomes pregnant, and the man splits. 
That's not a man. Dare I say it, that is a coward. And God wants you to be a man. The woman should not have to face pregnancy alone. And the abortionists are all too ready to prey upon her and to be predators to say what you really need is just an abortion. No, that's not the answer. The answer is for the man to be responsible. I think they ought to pass a law that if you biologically beget a child, that you are under law obligated to help financially take care of that child. That ought to be a law. That ought to be a law. They want to pass the law, there's one to pass. Today's Father's Day. And let's pray that God will abolish the problem of fatherlessness and raise up some godly, responsible men. Today I want to talk to you about the need for Christian men. If ever our society and our culture and our world has needed Christian men, it is now. And this text is one of the strongest texts. It's only two verses, but man, it is powerful. And it talks about being a Christian man. 1 Corinthians 16, verses 13 and 14. Be on the alert. Stand firm in the faith. Act like men. Be strong. Let all that you do be done in love. Now, this is a preacher's dream. Five powerful points, one right after the other. You talking about an easy outline? There it is, right there. I looked at this and said, that's a keeper right there. So, let's talk about the need for Christian men. Number one, a Christian man is watchful. He's a shepherd over those to whom God gives him. We see that in the word in verse 13. Be on the alert. Gragareo, and it means to be fully awake, to be wide awake. And not only to be awake, but to be watching. To be watching. To be watching over something, to be watching over someone for the purpose of safeguarding them and shepherding them and taking care of them. Paul said that a Christian man needs to be completely awake and to watch over those under his care. And in order to do that, guess who you got to watch over first? You got to watch over yourself. <laughs> Bible says in 1 Timothy 4:16, pay close attention to yourself, I really, that's the New American Standard, I really like the New International Version, watch your life. And I really like the New Living Translation, keep a close watch on how you live. Christian men, God expects you to watch over your own heart. Only then are you ready to watch over somebody else's heart. Bible says in Proverbs 4.23, watch over your heart with all diligence for from it, from your heart, flow the springs of life. Everything comes out of your heart. Now, how do you do that? Let me give you a, a few ways. Just jot this down. 
may not be in your notes there, but it will be before you leave if you'll write it down. First of all, how, how do I watch over myself? How do I watch over my own heart? Well, some biblical ways. Number one, discipline your eyes. Discipline your eyes. Remember that old song you learned in kindergarten? Oh, be careful, little eyes, what you see. Man, you got to be careful with what you look, especially nowadays. You just have to be careful. You may have to go around the rest of your life looking like this. <laughs> set a guard over my mouth, keep watch over the door of my lips, but set a guard over my eyes. Keep watch over my eyes. Psalm 101, 2 and 3, I will give heed to the blameless way. I, I want to be holy. When will you come to me, Lord? I will walk within my house in the integrity of my heart. How am I going to do that? I will set no worthless thing before my eyes. Say that with me. I will set no worthless thing before my eyes. I'm not going to stare at something on television that's immoral. I'm not going to have some book or some magazine in my house that's immoral. I will set no worthless thing before my eyes. I hate the work of those who, do, who fall away. It will not fasten its grip on me. So you've got to discipline your eyes and say, God, please help me to look in a manner that would be pleasing to you. Then you have to live in God's Word. You can't just take a little dabble, do you, of Bible. You've got to soak your brain and your mind and your soul in it all the time. I don't just study for sermons, folks. I read the Bible, and I read it through in about nine months. And then you say, what do you do after that? I start with a new one. In fact, the Bible that I'm preaching from today is the next Bible I'm going to read through if the Lord lets me live. And I've got about another four months on the one I've got at home. And I'm wearing it out, man. I'm writing in the, in the side and highlighting and checking and everything else. Well, this one's coming up next. But you know what? You've got to live in the Word. Psalmist said this, How blessed is the man who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked, stand in the path of sinners, sit in the seat of scoffers. Well, how can I do that? Here it is. But his delight is in the law of the Lord. That's the Word of God. In his law, he meditates day and night. He will be like a tree firmly planted by streams of water. Men, don't you want to be a tree? Don't you want to not be a weeping willow? Don't you want to be not a reed bouncing around with the water and the wind, but a, a tree firmly planted by streams of water, which yields its fruit in its season, its leaf does not wither, and whatever he does, he prospers. Don't you want to be an oak of righteousness for God? Live in the Word. Oh, my wife loves this next text, talking about living in the Word, Deuteronomy 32, 46 and 47. Moses said to them, take to your heart all the words with which I'm warning you today, which you shall command your sons to observe carefully, even all the words of this law. Now look at verse 47. For it, that is this word, is not an idle word for you. Indeed, it is your life. When you start believing that the Bible is your life, that I gotta eat and feed on this word just like I gotta eat and feed own food. Man, when you start living like this, it's not an idol. It's your life. And by this word, you'll prolong your days in the land, which you're about to cross the Jordan to possess. You want to live for the Lord? You want to get your life right? You want to have your mind going in the right direction? Live in God's word. Discipline your eyes. Live in God's word. And then live like Jesus. Just look at Jesus. Do what he did. 
Don't do what he didn't do. Emulate Jesus, Colossians 1.10, so that you will walk in a manner worthy of the Lord to please him in all respects, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. Discipline your eyes, live in the word, live like Jesus. And after you watch over yourself, then you can watch over other people. You gotta watch over yourself and then you can take care of other people. Philippians 2, 3, and 4, don't be selfish. Do nothing from selfishness or empty conceit, but with humility of mind, regard one another as more important than yourselves. Don't merely look out for your own personal interests, but also for the interests of others. So who am I supposed to watch over, Brother Steve? I'm not a pastor. Yes, you are. You're a shepherd. If you're a man, you're a shepherd. Watch over your wife if you have one. Watch over your marriage. Be pure. Be protective of your spouse and provide for her. Watch over your children. Protect them. Don't just let your children uh, be taught by the people at school. You make sure you know what they're being taught. You talk about all that when they come home and you deal with that. You protect your children, provide for them, guide them, guard them. And then your extended family, your aging parents, your in-laws, love all of them. Your church, serve in your local church. Lost people, share the gospel with them. Be a shepherd to these kind of people, to other people. God's calling you to be a watchman, to be a shepherd. What kind of man do we need right now in 2022? First of all, we need Christian men who will be watchful. Secondly, we need Christian men who are grounded, who are grounded. Not just floating around, doing their own thing, blowing around with the whims and the winds of society and culture, but rather, verse 13, standing firm in the faith. Standing firm. It's a picture of someone who is rooted, who is doggedly, continually, firmly steadfast. I mean, they have latched on to faith in Christ like a bulldog. They will not let go. They believe in the Bible, that it's the Word of God. They believe it's the inspired Word of God breathed by God himself. They believe the Bible is the inerrant word of God and they don't care who says what they believe. It has no error whatsoever. They believe it's the infallible word of God. It cannot in and of itself lead you astray. Now some person out here who has some wild ideas can read into the Bible and that will lead you astray, but the Bible is infallible. It will not in and of itself lead you astray. Amen. So you're gonna believe the Bible is the word of God. You're gonna believe that Jesus is God and man at the same time. Well, how much? Is he 50% man and 50% God? Is he 40% man and 60% God? He's neither. He's 100% God and 100% man at the same time. Jesus is the perfect God-man, all God, all man, simultaneously. You gotta believe that. He's more than a man. He's the God-man, Jesus Christ. Nobody like Jesus. Nobody like Jesus. Don't you ever compare him to some philosopher. Don't you ever compare him to somebody like Muhammad. They're not even in the race. Jesus is in the category. Don't say Jesus is first. Don't even put him in the category. Jesus is all by himself. Nobody else even comes close. And you gotta love him as the divine son of God. And then you gotta be willing to be in in that firm, rooted faith that says there's only salvation in Jesus Christ. He said, I'm the way, the truth, the life. No one comes to God unless they come to me. I'm just saying this to you. I'll make it as plain as I can. If you don't know Jesus, you don't know God. Amen. 
You can't come any other way. You cannot come any way you want to. Jesus is the only way. The disciples got arrested for it in the book of Acts, Acts 4.12, when they said, Neither is there salvation in any other, for there is no other name under heaven given among men, whereby we must be saved except the name of Jesus. And Paul said it in 1 Timothy 2.5. He said, Timothy, there's only one God, and there's only one mediator, one go-between, one person to get you. There's only one person between you and God, and that is the man Christ Jesus. There's only one. So you have to believe that you have to believe the Bible's the word of God. You have to believe that Jesus is the God man. You have to believe that he's the only way to heaven. What kind of man do we need? We need somebody that would be grounded in what the Bible teaches. Thirdly, a Christian man needs to be courageous. Act like men. And Drigzomai, be manly, come to manhood, grow up, and really be a person of courage. The New International Version and the New Living Translation translate and Drigzomai as be courageous. The message says, give it all you got, be courageous. You live for the glory of God and you do it with courage. The only one you fear is God. The only one you revere is God. And he gives you courage. I want to say this to you. Listen to what I'm about to say. Even if you've been spaced out, let's come to planet Bellevue just for a minute. Listen to me. God has never, nor will he ever, discourage you. Well, I just don't know about that. Well, I'm telling you. Because what discouragement is, is taking courage out of you, and God never does that. God does just the opposite. God is encouraging you. He's trying to put courage back into you. And if you don't have courage, you can't live the Christian life. Christian life is not for cowards. Christian life is for people who have courage given to them by God. He has encouraged me. He has encouraged me. He has put courage back in me. I can't act like a man. I can't do that unless I'm encouraged. I have to be rooted and grounded in Jesus. I've got to be using Jesus as my role model. I have to say, Lord Jesus, produce your life in me. Encourage me, put courage in me. I want to be a man of the scriptures grounded in the word of God. I want to have Christ-like character with the fruit of the spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. I want the fruit of the spirit and the fire of the Holy Ghost burning in me. I want to act like a man. I don't want to fear any man. I only want to fear God. I want to live courageously. I want to be like Daniel. I want to be like Daniel in the lion's den. And they threw him in. And the king came back the next morning and said, hey, are you still alive? He said, oh, king, live forever. I'm still here. God sent his angel and shut these lions' mouths. And I'm still here because I hadn't done anything wrong. That's courage right there. I want to have the courage of David. I'm reading right now in the Bible where David is about to go after 
Goliath, do you remember Goliath? Nine feet tall, had a nine foot tall mouth too. Had a big old spear, big old shield. And he came and he was, had a foul mouth and he was cursing the Israelites and they'd come out and in battle array and then he'd start cursing. They'd run like a little whip puppy. And David came up and said, who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he's taunting the armies of the living God? That's courage, my friend. That comes from almighty God. That's not just some attitude. That's the spirit of God flowing through a young man. And he runs out. He goes to Saul, who basically the king was big and tall, but he said, I don't want anything of this Goliath. And so Saul just says, look, I, I can't fight this guy. David says, have no fear. David's here. I'll fight him. And he says, you put on my armor. He said, I can't wear that. And all he does is go pick up some stones and he's going to do it the way that God showed him how to do it. He goes to the battle. He runs to the battle. He's excited about the battle because he knows God's about to deliver the people of God. And David goes out on that battlefield and Goliath comes out and laughs at him and curses at him. And he looks at that giant. And some of you have giants in your life right now that you need to face. And he said, you come to me with a sword and a spear and a javelin, but I come to you in the name of the Lord God of hosts, and you will not take me down. And I want to tell you what, I'm going to wipe you out, and then I'm going to get that whole bunch behind you that all the world may know that there is still a God in Israel. Amen? And one little rock. Did you know that one rock, when God's behind it, can take down every giant there is. Amen. And when he hit him in the forehead, big boy, shut the big mouth, fell on his face. And all the people behind him started running. And David was the leader. Why? God gave him courage. Do you see what courage can do? So ask God today, God, take away fear from me. Take away discourage from me. God, put faith in me and put courage in me. I want to be a man. I want to be a man. I don't want to just be some, you know, muscle-bound man. I want to be a man of faith. I want to walk with Jesus. I want to see the power of God in my life. I want to see my kids get saved. I want to see my marriage thrive. I, I want to see the people I work with. I want them to come to Christ. Oh, friend, you want to see somebody with courage? Look at Jesus. Went to a cross died on the cross, stayed there until he could say it is finished, paid in full. Jesus was not some wimpy person. He bore the sins of mankind. And I'm telling you, it takes more of a man to live for Jesus than it does to live for the world. You be courageous. You read your Bible, do what it says. You pray fervently like it matters. You learn to share the gospel with lost people. You love your wife. You love your church. You train your children to fear the Lord. And you love the people around you and just go around saying, choose you today, whomever you want to serve. But as for me and my house, we've already made that decision. We're going to courageously serve the Lord. Oh God, give us some men. What kind of men do we need in 2022? We need some men with biblical courage. God help us. Number four, we need a Christian man to be strong. He just says, in verse 13, be strong, be strong. Paul told the Corinthian men to be strong. He said, it's not going to be easy to live for Jesus. You're going to have to be strong, not with human strength, but with God's strength to accomplish God's will. 
God will empower you. Now look at me. Some of you, when you think about being strong, you think you got to have big arms, muscled up, chest, go to the gym, work out. I'm not against that. I can tell you this, though. That's not the kind of strength that you have to have as a Christian. It's got to be in your heart and in your mind. You got to be strong on the inside. And the only one who can help you do that is the Lord. And you know what you have to do to become strong? Now look at me. This is a little bit of a pivot here. Now listen, you got to become weak to yourself and die to yourself before you can become strong in Jesus and live for Jesus. Listen to what Paul says. Probably the strongest Christian ever to live. Listen to what he says. 2 Corinthians 12, 9 through 10. And he, God, has said to me, my grace is sufficient for you. For power is perfected in weakness. Say that with me. Power is perfected in weakness. I don't understand, Brother Steve. Now listen. Most gladly, therefore, I will rather boast about my weaknesses. So that the power of Christ may dwell in me. You're either depending on your power or the power of Christ. And not until you become weak will God become strong in your life. Therefore, I delight in weaknesses, in insults, in distresses, in persecutions, in difficulties, in behalf of Christ. For when I am weak, then I am strong. What is that all about? He's saying not until you come to the point where you realize that you can't do it on your own. You can't live for Christ on your own. You can't be good enough on your own. You can't do all these things. You can't lead a family on your own. You can't be a pastor on your own. That you are totally dependent upon Jesus Christ. You have to become weak in yourself and admit, I cannot do this. Oh God, I need your help. Help me, Lord. I can't do it. I am weak, but you are strong. Let your strength flow through me. I die to myself. Live through me, Lord Jesus. And that's when God takes over. And your weakness, in your weakness, he becomes strong. Do you know what the word weakness is there in 2 Corinthians 12, 9 through 10? Asthenia. And for 22 years, right now, 22 years ago, I was diagnosed with my asthenia gravis. My muscular asthenia weakness. Same word in this text. Same exact Greek word in the New Testament. Gravis, grave or severe. And for a while, I didn't even know if I'd get to preach or get to work or what I was going to do. I couldn't dress myself, couldn't do anything. Had an operation, had tumor taken out of my chest, all that stuff. And I didn't know. And that's my asthenia. It's my weakness. That's the word Paul used. Not until you get weak. Can God be strong in you? And 22 years later, I'm still preaching. But I got news for you. It's not me, it's Christ. In my literal weakness and in my spiritual weakness, I want him to become strong, don't you? Don't you want just say, Christ, I can't do this on my own. You do it through me. Help me, Lord. Pray that with me right now. Help me, Lord. I pray that all the time. Help me, Lord. Somebody pulls out in front of me. Help me, Lord. 
Help me, Lord. Somebody say something that's really not that smart. Help me, Lord. Can I get a witness out there? Anybody besides me, all right? Yeah, we won't even go into the marriage part and all that stuff, you know. Oh, help me, Lord. We need help. But when we're weak, he becomes strong. If you're an alcoholic, just say, help me, Lord. And God will strengthen you and sober you. If you're hooked on porn, you need to say, help me, Lord. He'll get your mind right. If you have a bad temper, help me, Lord, calm me down. If you worry and fear, help me, Jesus, give me peace. If you need direction in life, help me, Jesus, show me the way and make a way when there is no way. Whatever your question is, Jesus is your answer. Don't run from him. Run to him. Be strong in the Lord. Well, a Christian man is watchful. A Christian man is grounded. A Christian man is courageous. A Christian man is strong. But none of it matters if you don't get number five. God does this all the time. He, he saves the best, not just to be the best at the end, but to summarize the whole thing. This next point is connected to every, all the other four points. A Christian man must be loving. Loving. Let's read verse 14 off the screen, okay? Read it with me. Let all that you do be done in love. Uh, what does all mean? All means all, and that's all all means. Let all that you do be done in love. And what he's saying contextually is this. Everything I just told you, do it in love. Bathe it in love. Watch over your family in love. Be grounded, but don't be a smart aleck like you know everything. Do it in love. Be courageous but don't be flamboyant. Do it in love. Be strong, but don't lord it over people. Do it in love. Let everything, all that you do, from the moment you wake up till you lay your head down at night, let it all be done in love. That's the icing on the cake. Watch in love. Be grounded in love. Be courageous in love. Be strong in love. Let all that you do be done. Well, I don't know what love is. Well, have I got a chapter for you. 1 Corinthians 13, the love chapter. If I could speak all the languages of earth and of angels, but didn't love other people, I'd only be a, a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. If I had the gift of prophecy and if I understood all God's secret plans and possessed all knowledge, if I had such faith that I could move mountains, man, and didn't love other people, though, I'd be nothing. If I gave everything I have to the poor, sacrifice, even sacrificed my body, I could boast about it, but if I didn't love other people, I would have gained nothing. What is love? Here it is. Love is patient and kind. Love is not jealous, it's not boastful, it's not proud, it's not rude, it does not demand its own way, 
It's not irritable. It keeps no record of being wronged. Ouch. It does not rejoice about injustice, but rejoices whenever the truth wins out. Love never gives up. Love never loses faith. It is always hopeful. It endures through every circumstance. Prophecy, speaking in tongues, speaking in unknown languages and special knowledge and will become useless, but love will last forever. Now our knowledge is partial and incomplete and even the gift of prophecy reveals only part of the whole picture, but when the time of perfection comes, that is when Jesus comes back, these partial things will become useless. When I was a child, I spoke and thought and reasoned as a child. But when I grew up, how many of you want to grow up? Anybody want to grow up? I do. When I grew up, I put away childish things. Now we see things imperfectly like puzzling reflections in a mirror. But then when Jesus comes back, then we will see everything with perfect clarity. All that I know now is partial and incomplete. But then, I will know everything completely just as God now knows me completely. Three things will last forever. Faith, hope, and love. Say those with me. Faith, hope, and love. And the greatest of these is greatest of these, the champion of them all, love. When you don't know what to do, love. <laughs> when you don't know what to do with God, just love him. When you don't know what to do with other people, just love them. Love your parents. I'll be driving up tomorrow sometime to go to my parents' grave. I can almost hear, <clears throat> now I'm not just saying, I can almost hear my mother saying, Steve, my flowers don't look good. So-and-so's got new flowers. I don't have anything. I just got this same stuff you gave me last year. So I hear the voice of Dorothy. But I'm going to go up and honor them. You know, you can honor your parents even after they're dead. Did you know that? Love your parents. If your parents are living... Connect with them today. Love your wife, men. Love your wife. Love your children. Love your extended family and love your wife's family. I can't believe how some people call themselves Christians are mean to their spouse's family. Blows my mind. You can't justify that. Cut it out. Get off your high horse. Forgive everybody and move on. Love your men. Love your wife's family. Love your neighbors. Love your coworkers. Love your friends. Love your enemies and pray for them. Christian men, love strangers that you don't even know. Love the poor. Love widows and love people who are aliens. <clears throat> not citizens of America. Love them. Love waiters and waitresses regardless of whether or not they give you good service. 
They're probably, most of them, working two jobs and wish they were at home like you could be. And even love those crazy drivers on the interstate around Memphis. Just let them go right on around. Just stay to the right. Let them pass. And love lost people and share the gospel with them. This world could use some men that know how to love and don't feel like that that's a wimpy thing to do. When I was a younger man, there was a movement called Promise Keepers. There were seven promises that I would like for us to read. Would you stand with me, please? <clears throat> Now, don't bug out just to beat somebody at a restaurant for Father's Day, okay? Don't make me make you sit down, all right? Don't do that. Let's read these. Ladies, you can read too. Let's just all read these. Seven promises of a promise keeper. Number one, read it with me. A promise keeper is committed to honor Jesus Christ through worship, prayer, and obedience to God's word through the power of the Holy Spirit. How many of you want to keep that promise? Anybody? Amen. Me too. Number two, a promise keeper is committed to pursue vital relationships with a few other men, understanding that he needs brothers to help him keep his promises. Men, how many of you want to fulfill that? Amen? Amen. Number three, a promise keeper is committed to practice spiritual, moral, ethical, and sexual purity. How many of you want to follow that? Amen? Amen. Number four, a promise keeper is committed to build strong marriages and families through love, protection, and biblical values. Raise your hand if you want to do that. Amen. Three more. A promise keeper is committed to support the mission of his church by honoring and praying for his pastor and by actively giving his time and resources. How many of you want to do that? Amen. Number six, a promise keeper is committed to reach beyond any racial and denominational barriers to demonstrate the power of biblical unity. How many of you want to do that? Amen. One more, a promise keeper is committed to influence the world, being obedient to the great commandment and the great commission. How many of you want to do that? Amen. Let me just read it to you one more time. It's just five little points. And you know, you can read through the New Testament and you'll come to these little texts like this. You say, yeah, I'm just going to read through that and go on about my day. But listen to what you're reading. Camp out at 1 Corinthians 16, 13, and 14. Be on the alert. Be watchful. Stand firm in the faith. Be grounded. Act like a man. Be courageous. Be strong. Be strong in the Lord. Let all that you do be done in love. Be a Christian man who is loving. That's the kind of man. God's looking for. I read this morning, early this morning in my quiet time. <clears throat> God told Samuel, Saul has sinned. Go to the house of Jesse. I'm going to give a new king. And all seven of David's brothers walked out. And boy, they were buff. Eliab and all those guys they came out, man. They just coming out bench pressing 400 pounds, you know come out strutting their stuff. 
Even Samuel, as godly as he was, said, ah, oh, surely the Lord's anointed is before me. God said, that's not him. And finally, there was an eighth child that had not showed up. He looked at Jesse and said, this is all you got? Because the Lord said no to all of them. He said, oh, there's one more. He keeps the sheep. And David walked in. And God said, that's the man. Anoint him. That's the man. And God is looking across this room today. He's looking on this platform today. And he said, I, ladies, we know God wants to use you. Sometimes we say, just let God use my wife or let God use the women. It's time for the men to step up too. And for the men to say, Lord, here am I. Use me.